Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Welcome to our program. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, improving water quality with Lane Giles, Targus and Clonakilty, a 36-page magazine guide on pedigree, beef, dairy and sheep breeding on offer with this week's Irish Farmers Journal, free of charge. Shane Murphy, pedigree editor for the journal, has details. But first, reaction to threats to the cap budget. Mr Pat McCormack, ICMSA National President, says that the cap talks outcome will have massive implications for Cork's rural economy for the next seven years. Pat, welcome to the programme. Now, the background to your deep concerns regarding the lack of progress, apparently, so far with these crucial cap talks. Well, you know, we've had a presence in Brussels uh, since they commenced, and, you know, I suppose they're proven hugely challenging, and that's not surprising given the level of cuts that, that are proposed. Obviously, the various heads of state are there, including our caretaker Taoiseach at this point in time, and that's what he is. Um, and, you know, it's proven hugely challenging. There's, there's a massive impact there, you would say, in uh, Region 1 of CAP, uh, which is the basic payment, as we're more familiar with. That will be cutting from 1.2 billion to 1.08. And, you know, that would be a significant cut for, for Irish farmers and indeed for Cork farmers and for the wider rural economy. Um, you know, it will have a significant impact on the ability of farm families in rural Ireland to, to generate in the economy as we move forward. Uh, you know, we've opposed him and we've made a very, very clear to the Taoiseach and indeed to, to his fellow, your fellow Corkman, Minister Creed as well, that we can, we can afford a zero cut uh, in our payments because, you know, it's at a time when there's a lot of talk about greening and the environment and, you know, that the cap budget should be used towards promoting uh, various measures within those, uh, within that direction. And, you know, to propose a cut uh, to the cap budget at, this, at that point uh, would be absolutely ludicrous because, as it is, we're asked to do a lot more with the cap budget than we were 10, 15 years ago. And as you set out clearly in your most recent uh, press release, uh, you're saying that the multiplier effect of the farmer spend, that must be taken into account. Yes, indeed. They estimate that to be in around 1.75 or 1.8. Uh, of a spend, and that's felt in every rural rural economy out there, whether it's the tradesman or the, or the painter or the builder or, you know, the set maker or whatever it is out there in rural Ireland or the fabricator. Uh, and, you know, that that, that spin-off uh, is hugely important in rural Ireland. But equally, you know, it's a payment to the farmers for affordable food for the European tax, uh, the European citizen. And we may never forget that because that's what the fundamentals of the cap were about. You know, we've moved away to more green uh, aspirations at this point in time. 
and to try and do the two with the same budget would be hugely challenging but to do them with a smaller budget as proposed would be virtually impossible. And those figures you refer to, the Irish farmers direct payments falling from 1.2 billion euro per annum to, to 1 billion. They're all national figures for rural Cork. Uh, for, for the Cork farmer you're talking about, approximately we would estimate between two and 4,000 euros per annum and that's huge over a seven year period, you know, it's very easy to sums on that uh, that's a 20, potentially a €28,000 cut for the vast majority of farmers uh, that are out there over that over that seven-year period. And that's that's huge. It's huge in a rural economy. It's huge in rural parishes. And, and it's huge in whether it's West Cork or North Cork or the combination. Uh, in the very same way that's where I live in Tipperary, it's, it's huge for us as well. And uh, we say to both Creed and indeed the caretaker, Taoiseach, that this cannot be tolerated. And, you know, that is the stance that has been taken and was the stance taken uh, prior to the general election. Things are only going to get more restrictive for farming. We have talks of a study, this uh, big study, which will pay on the face of it. They'll be paying farmers to reduce uh, carbon emissions, etc. But at the same time, that seems to be a plan to get farmers away from farming and into forestry. Forestry is a very long-term project, if if you enter it. Uh, I suppose the real thing that needs to be done and the huge challenge out there for farm organisations like our own, the ICMSA, is to get the calculation accurate, to get the calculation right and tell out. You know, it's estimated that there's six kilometres of hedgerows uh, on your average farm. They need to be absorbed into that because they are taking carbon in out of the atmosphere all, all of the time. And, uh, you know, farmers need to get the credits for, for those. So we need the calculations and the mathematics and the accountancy of this right uh, and hopefully that we'll be in a position to have an economically sustainable as well as an environmentally sustainable agriculture going forward, because that's absolutely critical. You know, if the economic set up, the rest will be sustainable. What, what's happening? There's, suddenly we find that the agriculture budget is going to be cut, and at the same time we have situations where, you know, the Mercosur deal, those countries where Germany and France and other countries would be exporting cars to, they'll be allowed... Uh, send in 99,000 tonnes of beef into the European Union, yet here in Ireland, producing beef in such an environmentally friendly way, producing milk, etc., we find there's more and more restrictions, be it the environment, etc. Well, obviously, the sudden cutback in the cap is our nearest neighbours have left Europe, uh, and equally there's a lot of potential out there, a lot of talk out there about targeting environmentally friendly measures and having a green drive across Europe, and, you know, to, to fund that, uh, the cap budget seems to have been seems to be uh, an issue. They seem to be raiding it uh, to fund it, and we still oppose that as farmers right across Europe. Uh, obviously, the Mercosur of the EU, you, you, you touched on that. You know, 99,000 tons of beef potentially coming in, and we put that to the MEPs because you know we would have met a lot of the Irish MEPs, uh, including Billy Kelleher's team yesterday and Mairead McGuinness, indeed. Uh, you know, and put that strongly to them that they need to protect. Uh, rural Ireland and they need to take the industry in Ireland as well as the dairy industry uh, from the likes of Mercosur trade talks where they're not comparing like with like the environment from the aspect. Yeah, there's huge aspirations within Europe uh, on environmental and environmental protection and environmental food security. But you know, when it comes to when it comes to buying in from outside, uh, it's a case that we'll take it from anywhere if the price is right. Is there a guillotine there where it'll be imposed and these measures will go through, these cuts will go through anyway? Maybe maybe I'll eat humble pie on this one, but I don't see it happening in the month of February 2020. Um, you know, I'd say we're talking about May or potentially October before there's an agreement. 
if I was a betting man, I'd say that they brought the heads of state to Europe to give them the worst-case scenario and to send them home and to negotiate with them. And, and we'll be looking at a cut, but a cut significantly less than the cut that was proposed at this point in time, hopefully, from an Irish farmer's perspective. Do you feel the MEPs, the Irish MEPs in Brussels more than ever, and maybe Phil Hogan too, they must really all weigh in because this is something that sets the stage for the economy for seven years? Look, it, set the, it sets the stage, if it goes wrong, it sets the stage for the demise of agriculture forevermore in this country. And, uh, you know, we are recognised as a food island and obviously very efficient at what we do, but equally uh, a huge exporter of products. So we need we need to get this cap right uh, in order to have agriculture here into the future and a vibrant agriculture. Have the ICMSA representative in Brussels uh, watching, shadowing these talks? Look, we are shadowing these talks. I, I was there, I was present there today and, and indeed for Thursday. Um, you know, we will return again if necessary over the coming days, but had to return home for personal reasons. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Pat McCormack, President of the ICMSA, for taking our call. Thank you, Pat, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Speaking from Brussels, the IFA President, Mr. Tim Cullinan, has acknowledged the strong comments from Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in defence of the cap budget. He said the Taoiseach is right to reject the current cap proposals as they would be very damaging for Irish farmers and the rural Irish economy. Mr Cullinan said we want the Taoiseach to maintain this stance and to build alliances with member states who are in favour of a cap budget that safeguards the incomes of farm families. He contended there was a clear attempt being made by Charles Michel, the EU Council President, to wear down opposition to the current proposals. The IFA President pointed out that the CAP scheme brings €1.8 billion in EU funds to rural Ireland each year, which is a significant injection into the rural economy. The viability and sustainability of thousands of family farms in Ireland would be threatened if these proposals or anything like them were to be adopted by member states. And that's part of a statement from the IFA president, Mr Tim Cullinan. Dairy Gold Cooperative Society January Milk Price Dairy Gold, our sponsor, confirms that its base price for January milk supplies, based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of vat and bonuses, is 31.69 cents per litre, an increase of 0.5 cents per litre on the December milk price. This 0.5 cents per litre increase is in response to improved protein returns from the market. This equates to an average farm gate milk price of 39.55 cents per litre, based on average January milk solids achieved by Dairy Gold suppliers for all milk supply to Dairy Gold and the January early calving bonus. There is a word of caution from Dairy Gold. They say the impact of the coronavirus, COVID-19, has not been fully reflected in the market yet. Serious concerns prevail on its potential impact and the next two months will set the market tone. And that's confirmation by Dairy Gold of their January milk price. Dairy Gold confirming that its base price for January milk supplies, based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of vat and bonuses, is 31.69 cents per litre, an increase of 0.5 cents per litre on the December milk price. National bovine TB figures for 2019 have been released. As of 31st of December 2019, national herd incidence for bovine TB stood at 
3.72%, marginally up on 2018, which had been 3.51%, and 2017, 3.47%. Herd incidents for 2019 had been the highest recorded since 2013 and marked the third successive year of increasing bovine TB levels. Regionally, Cork North had the highest number of reactors at 1,993. Monaghan had the second highest at 1,336. Limerick and Longford had the lowest herd incidence at 2.06% and 2.21% respectively. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Lane Giles, Agricultural Sustainability Support Advisor with Chagask in Clonakilty near Darara Agricultural College. First of all, Lane, welcome to the programme. Now, we know how important water quality is and increasingly people are concerned about the water quality and the water they drink, etc., and the role of agriculture in all of this. Now, what would scientists be looking at when assessing water quality in a stream, for example? Well, John, I suppose the scientists that come out to assess the, the water quality, they, they try to establish initially the ecological status of the, of the, of the stream. And uh, they do this by um, taking what's called a kick sample. They kick the, the floor of the, the bed of the river and they catch it in a net and they bring that, uh, those insects up onto uh, a tray and they count the numbers relative to each other of, we'll say, sensitive species and not-so-sensitive species. And uh, if, the, if the tray is showing mostly an, uh, uh, not-sensitive species, uh, this would indicate that the quality is maybe a little poor. Whereas if, if if you have a nice abundance of uh, sensitive species, that's an indication that the water quality is, is maybe good or high-quality water. Often agriculture is blamed for worsening water quality, etc., etc., fewer pristine rivers now available in Ireland. But what aspects of their farming operation should farmers be looking at in relation to improving water quality on their farms and flow off from farms? Uh, there's three areas to look at. Um, there's farmyard management, uh, there's uh, nutrient management and land management. Uh, you know, there's different aspects of these three things that farmers could look at. Um, for example, in farmyard management, is there nutrients uh, during the winter time when the cattle are indoors and, and that are all the, the nutrients being captured within the farmyard? Is there is there leakage uh, from the farmyard? Um, the same with silage effluent. Is the silage effluent being collected is, you know, in such a way as it can be recycled again? Um, so they're, they're the main things in relation to the farmyard. Um, dairy washings, are they, are, are, again, are they being collected? Are they being um, spread um, on, on uh, the same area all the time? Are they, you know, is, it, is the farmer as he should be moving to fresh areas in order to reduce the environmental impact? So when it comes to uh, nutrient management, uh, the nutrients involved typically are the chemical fertilizers and the, and the, the slurry and farmyard manure to be spread and recycled onto the land. Um, the nutrient management, uh, are the crops getting uh, the right amount of nutrients uh, that they need um, and, and no more. And uh, this is targeted effectively by soil, soil sample results and uh, plant, uh, to plant requirements. And there's timing involved in this in order that the plants are growing and you're getting the best response from your fertilizer and, 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 and there's nothing being lost to the environment because if you apply a fertilizer to land that is not growing, uh, it can be much more easily washed off into streams and that. Um, so good growing conditions, very important when, when, when fertilizer or slurry is being applied. Um, so, and, and to apply those to, to the, the plant requirements. Um, 
so the nutrient management, uh, there's a lot to be gained there, both economically and uh, environmentally by good practices in that area. Um, the other area then would be land management. Um, so to reduce the amount of bare soil, uh, bare soil uh, uh, can be an issue because uh, sediment can wash off and the sediment that washes off is, is effectively the best um, of the soil that a farmer has. And when it does wash off into the rivers, it brings with it um, quite often phosphate is attached uh, and nitrogen as well in these in these aggregates of soil that are washed off and they can find their way into the bed of the river, affecting these uh, sensitive species that I mentioned. Um, so broadly speaking, three areas, farmyard management, nutrient management, land management. Um, um, land management can also be riverside management. It can be looking at um, uh, critical source areas. The critical source areas, these are, I suppose, areas along, along the riverbank that um, overland flow can enter the stream and bring with it nutrients from, from the land um, or, and sediment. Uh, so these areas, you know, can be, you know, can be identified along 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 the landscape and uh, when heavy rain occurs they're typically the areas that are flowing that the water flows to and then flows from there into the stream so these areas can be heavily loaded with nutrients we'll say if their slurry had been sprayed which hadn't been washed in which hadn't been um, taken up by plants uh, and uh, likewise with fertilizer if fertilizer hadn't been taken up uh, nice and slowly as it should it can it can travel in in, in a dissolved form uh, to the rivers and enter via these critical source areas. So these are areas that we'd be recommending maybe um, uh, to have a buffer. A buffer is an area that um, uh, doesn't uh, get fertilizer and such, and uh, it can soak up these nutrients um, because it has a higher requirement, and those areas then can be maybe grazed and um, nutrients removed uh, such, you know, to, to, to recycle them again. Uh, so we'd be recommending maybe buffers in those areas. Sometimes we'd be looking at um, maybe putting a maybe a, a rise of ground, maybe in a such way as to divert it to a place where it can, can actually be um, uh, the nutrients can be taken up by grass again in another area before entering the stream. So uh, that's what that's that's one another aspect of it. Those critical critical source areas. What type of participation is there by farmers? Do farmers willingly seek to cooperate? Or is it one of those things where it's a battle to try and convince farmers of the great importance of taking part in these surveys? Would you say there are most of the farmers in the area, in the catchment area, taking part and actively contributing? From my own experience, I'm dealing with drastic farmers mainly, and uh, I find them very interested uh, in what's going on and interested to see what can be done, um, and willing to do what's necessary to to, to make the difference. Um, and I do feel that farmers uh, want to to make a difference in this regard, and uh, it's broadly speaking, the advice that's coming their way is new. Uh, they mightn't have heard it before, and uh, they're, they're glad to get it and glad to do something about it. Uh, so. The advice that typically benefits the most, of course, is nutrient advice, which um, uh, is important to them because it's a, it's a major expense on any farm and uh, nutrients lost to the environment are also lost to the farmer's pocket. And it's a double win, a win for the environment and a win, win, win to the economics of the, of the farm. So there's a double benefit there uh, in that situation. Um, land management, you know, Soil is our most precious precious resource, and uh, when that's getting washed down the river, um, the farmers like to get the advice that they might need to to keep it on their land, and and that, and uh, you know, in terms of cover crops or or keeping you know reseeding, um, you know, during the growing season and so forth, uh, things that are you know might be overlooked 
under under the, uh, the pressures that exist on farms uh, financially nowadays. But uh, these are things. No, I, I feel that farmers are generally very receptive to this kind of information. There's actually a hunger for this information out there, in, in my experience. So certainly active participation by the farmers in this, because we know it's linked uh, in many ways to the farmers' uh, bottom line, the ability to stock intensively, the nitrate derogation, renewal of that, renewal of the nitrate derogation, even though the European Union will be increasing the amount of environmental conditions and regulations attached to nitrates, uh, derogation, etc. What would the main nutrients impacting water quality be? Yeah, well, John, as well as it happens, the, the main nutrients impacting water quality are, are, are those that um, farmers are spreading, um, by and large. So there's a direct connection there. Uh, so to that extent, uh, nutrient management is very important um, to water quality and this derogation that you mentioned. It's uh, that broadly speaking, it allows a farmer to carry maybe three cows to the hectare instead of two, and which is very important to, to the, uh, the finances of a farm. Uh, and this allowance is based on uh, on the premise that water quality uh, can reach good status um, at at the moment. Uh, you know, there's a number of water bodies that are not, and uh, you know, so steps have to be taken in that regard uh, to improve water quality. And these nutrients are um, uh, they affect the the ecology of the water, and uh, those ecological assessments um, indicate the the quality of the water in those areas. So farmers have to take seriously, really, the amount of fertilizer that's being lost from their farms uh, in order to keep uh, onto the, the derogation that, that's valuable to them uh, in order to, um, you know, so that they're not losing money down the stream in terms of nutrients washing down. And uh, from a health point of view, of course, for for the health of their their families and, and, and their livestock, uh, nitrogen, for example, can quite easily leach into groundwater and can come up in whales and that, and uh, E. coli just the same. So these are important things that farmers uh, are aware of and um, are concerned about, and, and they actually they want to know what can be done, uh, what can they do to, to, to make the difference, and are willing to do it. Not to demean in any way the efforts of farmers who are struggling to run a viable enterprise, etc., and at the same time comply with all the rules and regulations regarding the nitrates directive, and again with an enlightened self-interest regarding the water quality. But there will always be some farmers who will tend to be extremely progressive, and they'll be leaders in their field, and people often know them locally. So what would some of the more common things being done by the best farmers, the very best farmers, to improve their water quality in your catchment area? The, the best farmers are mindful, really, of, of their water bodies, their rivers and their lakes and their groundwater, and um, they're spreading their slurry at a time when the grass is growing well and uh, the nutrients are being uptaken. Uh, they're keeping back from their stream, from their streams and their, and their lakes um, in such a way as the nutrients won't be finding their way in. So they're keeping in mind the, the the land management issues in terms of not having bare soil. So that's uh, cover crops. Uh, in, we'll say in a tillage farming situation, a cover crop might be growing over the winter to catch um, the sediments that could be washing off, and also to um, to uh, to hold on to nutrients that are being naturally mineralised from the soil and to be which could be reused, ploughed down again, and reused again in the next year. Um, so. Like broadly speaking, that's that's that's, that's where the, the game is at at the moment uh, with the conventional farmers trying to get the best use of their fertilizer and uh, land management that um, that keeps their sediments on their farms, the best part of their of their soil on their farms. Um, and of course, farmers need to be updating themselves in relation to this area because it's it's fast moving. 
you know the the care of the soil now is is a big thing in relation to um water quality you know effectively we get maybe in this area 1.2 meters of rain that rain has to filter down through the soil and um you know the health of the soil and and the the compaction of it and the 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 bio, biological activity within that soil is is important now with regard to um the water coming up in the streams um where you know and springs and that's close to the river uh, so all these things have to be borne in mind, um, and the best farmers, to be fair, ha ha have a good handle on this. Uh, but there's a lot more to work to be done, is what I'd say. Um, the I suppose the amount of fertilizer is is, is an issue now. Um, that's coming to to the fore. We have very intensive farms, especially here on the south coast, with, and uh, farming uh, the, the the dairy milking platforms can be very heavily stocked, and sometimes the nutrients don't find their way back to this, this the out farms where the silage was grown. And with the use of modern uh, slurry spreading equipment, um, it can be quite easily put back on the grazing platform again without appearing to have an impact. But from an environmental point of view, it can have an impact. And uh, so farmers need to be aware of, of the fact that nutrients have to be recycled back, um, only to be putting out fertilizer to, um, to the, to the uh, advice given in relation to um, uh, plant requirements and that. And uh, to keep things in mind, like keep the, the, the lime status good and that. And... Um, balance nutrients on, on, on the land, you know, so that one isn't used in excess over another, you know. So th these are things that are, that are exercising farmers' minds nowadays. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's a new way of looking at things. Um, it's not just about economics, it's about the environment. And um, uh, things done on farms now have to be socially acceptable to the general public as well, you know. So water quality is, is high on, uh, on the general public's agenda. Uh, the farmers want it, you know, to keep their irrigation. And for the health of their their families and themselves, uh, and uh, soil quality linked with with water quality, uh, farmers depend very heavily on the, the, those soils being productive. And um, these very intensive farms are actually maybe going a little bit over the mark in, at times and uh, spreading more fertilizer than is healthy and good for the land. And uh, you know this 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 is a learning curve as well in the whole process. Thank you, Lane, very much indeed. Mr Lane Giles, Agricultural Sustainability Support Advisor with Chagas Kilty. We'll have more from a long interview with Lane in the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme uh, this coming Wednesday between 10pm and 11. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A Pedigree 2020 Breeding and Genetics Guide for the Beef, Dairy and Sheep Sectors comes free with this week's edition of the Irish Farmers Journal for February 22nd, 2020. 
Irish Farmers Journal pedigree editor Mr Shane Murphy has more on the supplement. Shane, this supplement, it must have cost a tremendous amount of money and indeed a great investment of effort to produce this 32-page 2020 breeding and genetics guide for three sectors, beef, dairy and sheep. Hi, John. Yes, as you mentioned, we have a 32-page guide. This is free with every copy this week. And I suppose the reason we left it free with every copy is to attract that broader audience and just let them know how much influence the pedigree breeders actually have on the overall national markets. I suppose it's decisions that pedigree breeders will make today or in the next few months, and they won't come into play maybe five, six years down the line when the progeny of them, of the progenies are actually sent for slaughter. So I suppose the pedigree breeder always has to have this in mind when he's making decisions. Um, yeah, it costs a bit, but we're happy to be educating people on the different topics that are going through the magazine. But this has a very substantial section on sheep as well as beef and dairy. It, it, it does, John. Um, I suppose from the sheep point of view, we're looking at the advances that they've made over the last number of years. I suppose phenotyping as well as beef has been coming into sheep massively. And the biggest limiting factor there is just the cost um, because you have so many of them. But we're, we're still seeing uptake very good for stock rams, especially in, in pedigree breeds. Uh, and all this data is feeding back into an overall index which is released by Sheep Ireland. Um, I suppose many people aren't using it yet, but there has been good uptake. Uh, all the flock books are now on board with Sheep Ireland. So we've got very good data on the actual numbers of um, pedigree flocks in the country and pedigree numbers. Um, so they're all detailed in the magazine as well. Leaving pedigree sheep just for the moment, turning to pedigree beef and pedigree dairy herds, the pedigree dairy herd and beef herd, they have changed enormously in recent years and ever more advanced technology being taken on board and utilised by Irish dairy and beef producers. Yeah, so uh, you touched off a range of topics there. I suppose the, the first one, we're, we're talking about how the national cattle herds changed over the last number of years. Uh, I suppose the biggest change has come since 2015, obviously with the abolition of milk quota, which has seen a surge in dairy cow numbers. Um, for that as well, in the last number of years, we've seen a reduction in the suckler cow numbers. So we're back about 80,000 head um, over the last two years alone. So looking from a pedigree point of view, why it's key to look at these um, this analysis is because you need to be looking at what's coming downstream. So if the suckler herd is in decline, then there's going to be less bulls needed. So that, whether that means the pedigree breeders are redu- reducing the amount of bulls they're breeding, or if they're even switching breeds to breeds that suppose more associated with the dairy herds, such as the Angus and Hereford. E- even looking at your own county there in Cork, we see Angus and Hereford have the highest pedigree registrations in the country in Cork, uh, and that's solely down to, I suppose, that's where your main dairy market is, and they're, they're breeding for that market. These, these two breeds have seen their... Pedigree population has increased by 50% in the last five years, which is massive. Um, and that is circulating around your, your dairy increase. I suppose if you're going to your west coast, where it's more suckler cow herds, you see the likes of the, the limousines, number one, Clare, uh, for pedigree registrations. And then Galway and Mayo are, are heavy Charlie country. So the, the pedigree breeders in the country are breeding for the market that they require. I think it's true to say that the core of your pedigree 2020 breeding and genetics guide would be the six-page exclusive Q&A session between yourself, Shane Murphy, and the ICBF technical director, Mr Andrew Cromie. Six pages of Q&As. It it definitely is. I I suppose as my role as pedigree editor since I joined in 2016, a lot of my work has been out in the roads, 
going to these pedigree events, shows, sales, technical conferences. And while I try endeavour to answer all the questions I can for breeders, ICBF is a main topic any time I go to these events. Um, so over the last few years, I've collected these questions, which I mightn't have been able to answer, or people are looking for answers in more depth, and I put them to them straight, and we get the answers that you want for the, the questions that I've been asked. We get the answers to them in that six-page exclusive. And this is something I was very keen to have in the magazine. And I, I think it reads very well. It's got talks of the new BGP when BGP finishes, what they, they'd like to see come in store, but as well as issues surrounding Tully Beef Performance Centre, um, as long as all the national programmes and the indexes fluctuating as well over the last number of years. So it, there's a lot of reading in this, but I think it's very beneficial for anybody that does read it. And again, you take a quick glance back over the history of cattle breeding. You say over the past 300 years, the ideal cow has changed many times from big to small to big back to small again. But breeders throughout these years have followed trends and bred to what the markers required. And that's the same nowadays. Without a doubt, I suppose our cow is always evolving. We want the most profitable animal on our farm at the current times. And the only way we can do this is to breed the markets required. So I, I suppose we're even seeing in recent years, the carcass wave going through factories is being reduced. Um, and in turn, we're breeding for a smaller carcass to reach that market, so we're not exceeding it. Um, over the last 300 years, there have been massive changes. We, we can talk about going up to maybe 1,500 kilos for our cows and down to the, the belt buckle of cattle, as they used to call them over in Scotland and England, breeding for that American market. And, that in turn led to devastation, I suppose, with dwarfism, but we touch off that in the magazine, and not all decisions made over the past are right, and no doubt the decisions we make in the future, not all of them are going to be right either, but it's all about breeding for that most profitable animal that we can. And Shane, in your Irish Farmers Journal Free Pedigree 2020 Breeding and Genetics Guide, the underlying theme all the time is data being on a milk recording system, making sure you're milk recording your herd to see how many animals in the dairy herd are passengers and how many are productive. But again, when we look to the successful future of pedigree breeding, be it a dairy herd or beef animals, very important, the impact and importance of data, underlying everything, data, and the essential role of data, knowing where you stand. The key to progress definitely has to be data. So the more data we have, the more informed decisions we can make. I, I suppose ICF have been looking at that for the last number of years. They've been adapting their milk recording into their systems. And we have to, even on beef farms, live weights, weaning weights, that, that's the stuff that drives profit. So if you can get a, a weanling to a slaughter age quicker, inevitably it's going to leave more money in the ground. As you mentioned, getting more milk out of a cow for the same inputs, then that's a more profitable cow on your farm. And we go abroad, I mean, traditionally, certainly in recent years, we've um, been studying what happens in New Zealand and uh, trying to follow the New Zealand model or learn from it and younger farmers going out for experience to New Zealand. But very interestingly, you have a very large uh, section. Well, it's a, it's a full page at least there. The Canadian Adventure. As our main focus this year uh, in the magazine, we, we focus on Canada. So the home of beef production in Canada is the Alberta region. Um, I travelled over there myself, got on the ground level um, back in November. And I suppose what I visited over there was three seed stock producers, which are pedigree breeders over here in Ireland. And we looked at how they changed compared to what we have at home. Um, so you can see a lot, the three ones I focused on, two of them would have on-farm sales where they're selling about 150 bulls a year, um, which is massive scale, much as 
most of Canada is scale compared to Ireland. Um, the biggest difference is that scale, I suppose. We're on about pushing cows per acre. They just want their cows to be roaming. There's, there's no sheds over there. They, they have their cattle out all year round. And just, it's good to co- compare that against what we have here. Um, we look at the 60% of all the the beef killed in, in Canada come from the Alberta region. So it, it is really worth seeing. On top of that focus on the Canada, we actually have international writers at the very back few pages, which look at sea stock produced in different parts of the world. So we actually have one over in Denmark. We have ones down in Brazil, Uruguay, um, Australia, South Africa. And just see how they compare to us and what they're doing different. Or maybe there's some bloodlines over there that we can introduce here and they'll leave to a profitable cow as well over here. They might work on our setups. So there is a lot. There's a lot in that magazine. There's a lot of work going into it. But I think the readers that buy this week's paper will definitely be excited about all the stuff going through it. This, in effect, is a handbook. It's a bang up to date handbook, a random page here. And I hit on DNA data, the future is now. And that's uh, an article, a full page article, written by Mr. Mark Waters of the ICBF. It goes through the next step for animal traceability in Ireland and the benefits it carries. So, DNA data, the future is now, reinforcing what you've been saying about technology. And in the opposite page by yourself, Shane Murphy, the bottom line on breeding, this is literally a source a guide for reference and not to miss the chance of getting this excellent supplement free of charge with your journal newspaper this week. Without a doubt, and that's kind of what we're trying to push inside there. We want to show that it's the pedigree section in the Farmer's Journal is not just for pedigree readers, it's for everyone. There's so much you can be learning because these pedigree readers are making decisions now that affect you in the long term. You need to be up to date as well with them. And this book, this book uh, definitely gives you gives you a guide, insight into it. You've got all your new technology, such as DNA registration, as so you said. That has the ability to revolutionize the way we breed cattle forever. Traceability, knocking out, um, testing cattle, as well as getting raw data in, as I mentioned, is the most important thing. You get that raw data if you've got a genotype from the birth of the calf to slaughter. You can follow that all the way up, farm to fork, and we'd be about 10 years ahead of the rest of the world if we can roll that into play. Uh, at the moment, they're on a three-year pilot scheme. This is the third year of the pilot scheme, uh, and there's about 500 herds included in that. Um, but coming back to it, yeah, we just want to get more people reading the pedigree section because it is a lot more than that. Sure, we do our shows and sales, but we also have analysis. We have all the new technologies coming on stream, and there's definitely a lot to be got out there for every single reader of the Irish Farmers Journal, not just pedigree readers. Counting calves. Now, that's um, you know, one of those big questions you referred to, the abolition of milk quota and what happened after the abolition of milk quota. Dairy cow numbers increased substantially in the four years following abolition of the EU milk quota regime. Welfare of calves in particular, that's something that's caught the public imagination. And uh, farmers have to be extremely careful in ensuring they keep up uh, the level they normally do of welfare for this enormous number of calves. Yeah, without doubt. And you, you can see from the data we've analysed there, over the last five years, we've seen about 370,000 beef sire calves from the dairy herd rise up to about 680,000, which is massive. And I suppose, as I mentioned earlier, some of the breeds have adapted to meet that growing demand. But it's also positive to see that the increases there coming from the beef sire calves, because the beef sire calves are inevitably going to lead into the factory. When you talk about welfare standards, that's what you're touching on, is these excess Frisian cattle around the place that you have to finish. Whereas if you can get a beef sire in there, you're more likely to get that animal into carcass weight spec and get a more profitable animal from it. Um, it again comes down 
I suppose when you're talking about new technologies, there's some massive events coming in sex semen. We talk about them in our pedigree pages as well every week. So if we can get sex semen to get your male calf out of your Frisian cow and only use heifer calves out of the top 20% to carry it through your replacement, you're going to have more profitable animals there. And more, there's more animals for the person at the mart to buy and they're going to be a better quality animal and you hopefully get into slaughter quicker. Now, we did say at the start of our conversation that the sheep scene was covered uh, very comprehensively and they refer to, again, a core article there by Mr Kevin McDermott of Sheep Ireland. He looks at Irish sheep, the Irish sheep sector overall and the goals and that's on page 18 with an enormous uh, amount of information there regarding numbers. So the sheep scene, the sheep scene and the sheep statistics, etc. So again, we're talking about something, it's not just beef, we perhaps linger a bit on beef now because of the low price in beef and we're all trying to think of how the beef price can be boosted but thank you very much indeed Mr Shane Murphy, pedigree editor Irish Farmers Journal newspaper thank you very much for your expert analysis and uh, commentary and again we say the core of this special pedigree 2020 breeding and genetics guide would be the six page exclusive question and answer session between your good self and the ICBF Technical Director, Mr Andrew Crummy. So good luck with this, and we do hope people will in fact make the effort and ensure that they get their copy of the journal, which will have a gratis and for nothing. They'll have the tremendously interesting reference to be kept as reference. Shane, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. And thanks, John. You're very welcome. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. And as always, a very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Next Agri-Update on this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11. Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.